Well, I wrote a book. It took me a lifetime to write it. And I wasn't expecting to write it right away. It was one of those ones that I had on my list that I thought I would eventually get to. Um, but I got a number of pastors calling me, some parents calling me, just saying that they were struggling. And um, all of our churches are, are just filled with kids. And uh, just knowing how to, how to manage and harness uh, that tremendous blessing from the Lord. And we want it to be a blessing. We don't want it to be something that we resent. Uh, uh, and there are people who don't have kids, and so uh, it's, it's harder on their souls sometimes when it looks like the parents aren't uh, disciplining their kids properly. And so, it, but it's an age-old uh, issue. And for years, um, churches met in homes. Uh, they met in small groups all over the city. It'd be a citywide church. And for probably, uh, for the first, um, to about 350, they never met in buildings like ours, uh, independent buildings. They might have had large assemblies from time to time, but it was kind of underground. It was kind of like in the homes. And so uh, they had to manage children right from the very, very beginning. And then uh, about 350, they moved into, into buildings, and the buildings were huge. I've seen some of the bones of uh, first century buildings. They're massive uh, uh, like uh, more like uh, cathedrals, uh, big columns, big pi big pillars uh, called basilicas, and they sat on the floor. There weren't chairs. They would have sat on the floor. They could pack a lot of people in, and that's the way our churches are in India. They sit on concrete floor. Uh, I've seen um, uh, parents managing the kids in India where they're all sitting there on the, the take a piece of straw and have their little child sit on the concrete floor. And they're there all day long. They're there for meetings. Uh, I, I've, seen, I've seen them poop. And the parents just take some straw and pick up the poop and throw it out the window. And I thought, that's as tidy as it gets. That's as... And we had one, one American lady. She, uh, she wanted to sit among the families. And she was sitting on the floor. And all of a sudden, she said something got warm around her, and she wasn't sure what that was, and, and one of the children had peed, and it just went all over the floor, and, and she ended up getting wet. So it's a problem. It's a universal problem. It's just happening. It happens everywhere. So I wrote this book, and uh, uh, I didn't know what to call it. I ended up calling it uh, Hand in the Cookie Jar, and the, the book has different references to cookie jars, and so that's where that came from. Um, what I'd like to do tonight is I can't read the book. Uh, I'm not a very good reader to begin with. You wouldn't like that. That wouldn't be a good experience. But I thought we'd review it. If you haven't read it, maybe you'll get a, a sense of it. If you have read it, uh, and, and I'd, like, I'd like to get your input on, on um, what you read, how you felt about it. So I just thought we'd go through it section by section and see what happens. There's a mic here, and uh, if you could, don't mind coming to the mic, it, it would help those who are listening, those who are listening at home, those who are going to get up by. In fact, uh, can we turn this? Also, my hearing is deteriorating, and I want to be able to hear your question. In fact, uh, can we turn this mic around the other way so that they're facing me? And, yeah, come up a little closer toward me, Andrew, like right about there. That's good. Yeah. Okay. All right. If you don't mind using the mic, I know you don't like to. I know nobody is crazy about mics, uh, I get that, but it does serve a purpose, and so. Um, one of the first things I established in the, in the book is that I didn't know how to raise kids. I mean, I, I didn't want to raise my children, now that I met the Lord, the way I was raised. My parents are good people, and, and I, I look back fondly on my childhood, and I wasn't abused. We had a stepdad who was a great, great stepdad. Uh, my father died when I was about a year old, and so uh, my, my mom remarried and, and couldn't have married a better guy. I mean, just perfect for our family. And, um, uh, and, and Heather was one of two children, and her parents uh, never spanked her. And um, uh, they, grew up, they grew up good kids and, and uh, some troubles, but she didn't want to ra be raised... She didn't want to raise our kids the way she was raised either. So we're starting from, 
from in the minuses. And so I began to pray. And I think every dad in this place, it's your responsibility to seek the Lord for your family. It's your responsibility to lead and provide the direction of your family. I took that seriously from the Lord. I began to pray, told Heather what, what my concerns were. Uh, she prayed as well, but, but I really expected the Lord to uh, answer my prayers, the head of the home. And I don't need, to this day, I don't know how it happened, but a little track came in my hand. It was called Children, Fun or Frenzy. And uh, it got changed. The title of that track got changed later on to uh, Under Loving Command. Um, but it was written by this couple. And what they did is they just told their story, but used the book of Proverbs, and they went through proverb after proverb and how it applied to child discipline, and it was brilliant. It was simple. It was straightforward. It, was, it had wisdom in it. Uh, I, I, I read it. I gave it to Heather. She read it, and, I, and we sat down. And I said, this is what I want to subscribe to. This is how I want to raise our kids. She said, me too. This, is, this feels right to her. And so that became our our pattern for how we're going to do it, which involved spanking, which wasn't socially acceptable in Canada at that time, even though uh, when I was a boy in school, the principal actually walked around the hallways with a, with a strap in his back pocket. And, and the rule was, my parents said, if you get the strap at school, you know what you're going to expect when you get home. You're going to get the strap again when you get home. And it, spanking was normal in the 1950s and 60s as I was growing up. But then it went, it went out of vogue. It became, uh, you know, the pendulum swings that goes back and forth. And it went out of vogue. And, and so at that time, uh, spanking wasn't um, common or socially acceptable. And so when my, my in-laws saw me disciplining our, their, their brand new little grandson, boy, did they hate me. I mean, they made it known that they did not like that. My, my father-in-law would leave the house in a huff, and, and uh, they, I mean, they told me that they just really had a hard time with what I was doing. And so I'm now stuck because I want them to like me. <laughs> you know, they're my in-laws. But I want, to do what God, I want to do what God's Word said. I want to do what it says in the book of Proverbs. And more than anything, I wanted God's approval. And it was a real tension for me. Uh, I wasn't expecting it. I mean, I, I knew that they would reject me for being a disciple. But child discipline, I, I wasn't expecting that that would be the hot issue in our home. But boy, it really divided our family. And um, so now Heather doesn't know what to think because it's mom and dad. But I remember just saying, Lord, I, I'm here to please you. Um, I'm going to keep doing this. I know they hate it. I'm going to keep doing it because I know it's right. I know it's, I know it's your heart. And then sometime later, they called, which they never did, and said, uh, can we come over? And they never asked that before either. And I thought, man, I'm in trouble. And uh, they come over, and they're him and hawing around and clearing their throat. And finally, uh, Heather's dad said, uh, we want to apologize. We hated the way you were raising your kids. We hated to see you discipline them the way you're doing that. But we can't tell you how proud we are of your children and, and the way they're being raised was so, is so right. I didn't know where that was coming from, but I think they had taken some other children uh, on an event someplace like that, and they, they didn't obey, and they just were little terrors. And, and they said, you know, your children, we can take them anywhere. They, they obey, they stop on a dime. If we say, come back from the pool at, at 10 o'clock, they're there right at 10 o'clock. They said, we, we were amazed and we realized it has to do with how you're raising them and we want to apologize for everything we said uh, and, and how we treated you because of that. And so I, that's how I start the book is just to, to if you're going to go this way, it's not going to be popular. If you choose to go the way of the Lord, uh, you, the, you run a risk. Uh, child discipline, corporal punishment, spanking is legal in all 50 states. But I'll tell you, it's going to be nothing but more complicated the more you go down this road in the days ahead because the school system and uh, the legal system and, and the way people are anti-Scripture, anti-God, 
uh, spanking is going to put you on the outside of what's going on in society. Um, so anyway, I write about my experience, Heather's experience, a little bit. And then, um, then I go after this uh, section on chapter, um, first section here, but uh, verse, sorry, page 11. All about the fallen nature, and that's the crux of everything that we're teaching concerning child discipline. They come with a full-grown, fully equipped fallen nature that comes from Adam. And it's not personal. It's not, it's not your little darling. It's not the sweetest little baby. They, will, they are sweet, and they're darlings. There's no question about it. But it won't be long before that fallen nature begins to manifest. And they will do things that will turn your head around, that will just uh, uh, push all of your buttons. And the issue is you want to, you want to deal with that fallen nature so that uh, it's curtailed, and they learn how to get on top of it. They learn how to deny themselves. That's the fallen nature, that selfish nature. And, the, and you have to train them. They don't come trained, and they won't get trained on their own. And the only thing that really curbs the flesh is a little thing called pain. And that's true of adults. That's true of uh, uh, wayward, wayward, uh, um, underdeveloped Christians I had a run-in with a guy just, just recently who, you know, uh, just is experiencing pain, but because he was not dealing with that fallen nature, there's, there's pain that comes his way that will deal with it. It's, it's the only thing that curtails the fallen nature. You can't reason it away. You can't look at them and explain enough to change their fallen nature. It's going to have to be Measured, intentional pain, which is called spanking. And, and as they get older, that won't be effective, and so you're going to have to find another way to increase, uh, to, to bring in some pain. And it might be withholding allowances. It may, be, it may be some other thing that the Lord shows you to do that creates some kind of pain that curtails the flesh. In fact, the only thing that stops your flesh is pain. It might be the pain in your wife's face because you were selfish, and you could see how disappointed she was in you. And that pain, when you see that look on her face, causes you to come up, causes you to change and become more sensitive and more attentive and more disciplined concerning your flesh. So the issue, the issue that you're after, it's not personal anymore. It's not you and that sweet, cuddly little baby. It's you and fallen nature of man, and you want to deal with it early. And if you deal with it in the formative years, the first couple years even, it's possible. Now listen to this. This is amazing. It's possible that a half a dozen good applications of what we're talking about will be enough for some children. That you won't have to do it when they're teenagers. You won't have to do it when they're, when they're older because they get the message. They know that you're a person of your word, that if you say that... Uh, a, a punishment is forthcoming, they believe you because you've been consistent. You may not have to be spanking them all for the rest of their lives. It, it's possible. I mean, there's whole years in our, in our children's development that we didn't have to spank them at all because they knew that we'd keep our word. It was a matter of integrity between us and God. I mean, different times I'd even get down and look them in the eye and say, look, Daddy, Daddy needs to be obedient to Jesus. Therefore, I promise that if you do it again, I will spank you because I want to be obedient to Jesus. That was the issue. And um, so the fallen nature, and if you don't, let me just say this, if you don't, Here's what you're setting up them up for. They won't come into fellowship with other Christians very easily because their fallen nature will wreck every relationship that they come into. If you don't, they'll be fired from job after job because their fallen nature will want to be indulged <laughs> and they won't know what discipline is and they won't know what keeping their word is and they won't know a cause and effect and re reward, the reward system is totally skewed and they won't be able to be, they won't be employable. Plus, I think the worst thing is you're setting them up to wreck their marriage because selfishness comes out in the context of marriage more than anything, any other place. If, in fact, if, if I wasn't married, I would be this amazing Christian 
because there'd be nothing that would conflict with my selfishness. But Heather has flesh, and I have flesh, and therefore her flesh and my flesh, come, they, they, they're in conflict all the time. And we have to learn how to dial back and how to submit and how to, how to, how to yield. And so we've been able to get through 43 years of, of marriage by learning how to deny ourselves. But if, if, if we never knew, and if somehow your child doesn't know, it's very likely that they won't have a very good marriage. So what I want to establish in this book, the very first thing as I go after, is what the, what the real crux of the thing is. It's the fallen nature of man. And your little beautiful bundle of joy that you bring home from the hospital has a full-blown fallen nature inside of them. It came from Adam. And that's, that's, that's what you're working against. Okay? Any, com any comments or questions about what I've shared so far? If you, if you have something that you'd like to add to that or get clarity on, please come to the mic. I just wanted to share because of what you've been talking about, and I have a teenager that's old enough. Um, and just, to, and I see so many families with really young kids here. That way, just want to say what you say is true. We applied it into our home. We 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 did that with our first son, and it 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 totally works. It works just like you say it, it does. It's absolutely the way we raised our son. Now it's different. It was different with my daughter, and even now you can see it. Um, so I just wanted to commend you and to all the people here with young kids. Yeah. It it works. Well, thank you. I'm glad to hear that. That's good. And that's not affirming a book. It's affirming a principle that works. Um, the other thing I wanted to establish on on verse tw or ch page twelve. I'll get there. Page twelve. Very quickly. What I want to communicate is you're training your children all the time, whether you know it or not. Whether you ever spank them or not, whether you ever say no to the little fallen nature or not, we are training our children all the time. And I tell the story about a lady who's met another lady in the grocery store, and while they're talking cart by cart, and they're standing in the aisle talking, one of the ladies, their little boy, is reaching out and just gobbling up grapes from the vegetable stand or the fruit stand, and he's just throwing away. And finally, she, she realizes what he's doing. She says, Billy, not so fast, which is very funny to me. Uh, you're not laughing very hard, but... Do you see what she's doing? She's actually training them. It's okay to steal. It's okay to do it. Just don't do it so fast. <laughs> Just don't do it where it hurts you. We train our children all the time. Uh, uh, Dr. Dobson, he went down this way. When, when I was a young parent, Dr. Dobson, James Dobson, come out with a film series called Focus on the Family. And you'd have to book... Uh, I think three or four Sunday nights in a row, and they'd play the film, and it would be like a, an hour and a half of a film, and uh, that's what we had available. I mean, that was, that was the technology back then. And, and he talked about this, and he talked about training, like a, as a, from a school teacher's point of view, where the school teacher would be so upset by the children's misbehavior that finally she'd stand on her desk and blow her whistle to get them to settle down. And the kids always brought her to that point, and their reward for acting up was to see her get on her desk and blow her whistle. They knew that was like the, the, the culmination of their behavior. Well, they, they trained, they were trained to wait until she finally got reddened in the face, stood up on the desk, and blew the whistle. And that's when they finally settled down, once they hit that point. And that's true of all of our kids. If, if they won't obey you until you threaten them, until you are red in the face, until you holler at them, that's training them to wait until mom or dad gets to that point. But it's a lot. If you're, if you're going to train them, and we're training them all the time anyway, we're training them to lie, to steal, to uh, have a tantrum, 
in order to get their way, which will look really sweet when they're 18. That'll look really sweet when they're married. But we're training them to do that. If that's the truth, if that's the reality, why not train them to say, I, I'll tell you one time, and if you disobey, there will be a consequence. And, and, and I'm going to say it in a calm, natural voice. And when you disobey, the consequence will fall. And you can train them to respond the first time. And that's what we end up doing with our kids. We got them to a point where we could say, please don't do that. And that's, that's, that's all it took. And we could take them anywhere. We didn't have to raise our voice. We didn't have embarrassing moments. We didn't have, we didn't have to leave a party. We could have guests over, and they could interact with the guests at the table for the whole evening because we knew they knew what the ground rules were. They knew what to expect if they, if they disobeyed. They weren't little robots. I saw kids who were like little robots, and the dad was squeezing their arm. We didn't want that. We just wanted it to be real. We wanted it to be something that they understood. And it just took a few exercises to get to the point where we could say, now, I, here's what I'm expecting tonight. Uh, I, I don't want you to do this. And, and if you do that, there'll be a consequence. We're going to go out to dinner tonight. And if, and if you don't eat your food and you're not behaved, daddy will spank you. I'll take you to the bathroom. I won't do this in public. I'll take you to the bathroom. But you know that will happen. And it's a matter of integrity. And so we could, we could go out and enjoy a meal, which didn't happen very often. So when it did happen, we wanted it to be a good experience. Well, we could do it because they, would, they were not running around, standing on their head in, in the restaurant and hollering and making it miserable for the other guests. And we just had a way that we just knew that we could tell them once. And it was true that there was a, a consequence for their disobedience. That's another point I want to make. The issue all the way through was only disobedience. We never, spilt, we never spanked them for spilling their milk. We never spanked them for being childish or being a, a, being a child. And if they didn't understand something, we, and they could actually do something wrong, something we didn't want them to do, but it, it, they had not been trained in that area, and we would never spank them in that area. The only time we spanked them was for d disobedience. So we had to clearly lay down what the lines of obedience were. This is what we're expecting. And you did it in a calm voice, and you did it when it wasn't, uh, wasn't the, the hot issue wasn't on the table. And you explained it. And then they would test it, and you'd spank them. And then, then they'd say, okay, all right, that's real. <laughs> we won't do that again. And you could just go on and, 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 and enjoy the evening. <clears throat> but it was only for disobedience. So I found this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6, and it says, and you're ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And I took this verse out of context. It's not talking about child discipline, but it really is the principle that how can you d expect discipline from them if you're not the one being disciplined? And so the issue really wasn't them. The, the issue of obedience and discipline and diligence and all that was me before God. That was what the issue was, whether or not I would be obedient to what the Lord was saying. Any comments or observations about that? They could be kids. They could, they could write on the wall and we would not spank them for that. But then we'd sit down and we'd say, you can't write on the wall anymore. And we'd talk it through and tell them what the consequence would be if they did write on the wall all very calmly. But the first time that they wrote on the wall, I mean, how fun is that to write on a wall? I get that. Nice white wall, perfectly good markers. Why would you not want to write on the wall? Except, except it's too much for mom to have to clean and dad to have to repaint and all of that. And so we'd have to work that through. But we didn't spank them the first time that they wrote on the wall. We didn't spank them when they offended us. I mean, sometimes there are things that they did. One time, Josh kicked a nun. My middle son actually kicked a nun. We're having dinner at a church. I was the guest speaker. There was a nun sitting there. I don't know what happened. I can't remember what train. But he ended up kicking her. We were incredibly embarrassed. embarrassed. And not only that, he didn't like the jello, so he spit the jello back out in the serving bowl. <laughs> and I'm the guest speaker. 
So it looks like, you know, but we didn't spank him for any of that because there were no lines laid down beforehand. He was just being a kid. We set some objectives, and this, these are things that Heather and I agreed on. So I thought it through, and, and then we talked it through and said, here's what we're after. We want a peaceful home, not a war zone. We want a peaceful home. And if the kids are just running wild and there's no, no discipline, there's no correction, that's not a peaceful home. We wanted to treat each other with respect. And I, I modeled that, how, we, how I treated Heather and how she talked to me. And if we disagreed, which happened a lot, here's what we said. We said, we'll never disagree with each other in front of the kids. If you don't like the way I'm disciplining them for, if you don't like what I've said, if you don't like what I've just laid down, tell me. But don't tell me in front of the kids. And I won't correct you for doing it differently than how I would do it in front of the kids. We'd have to go in a side room, and then we'd have some fellowship over that and talk it through. But we had some guidelines. So we wanted to treat each other with respect. That began with us. We're going to train our kids, but we're going to treat them with respect. We don't want to ever embarrass them. We would never spank them in public because we didn't want to embarrass them. I, I, I shouldn't say we never would. I think I did, uh, and I regretted it. I mean, I, it, there's no respect in that. If you did something wrong, whether it was me or whether it was them, we would admit it and get down and ask for forgiveness. I can't tell you the number of times that I got down on my knees in front of my kids and said what daddy did was wrong. Jesus will discipline me for what I did. But what I did, I know it, and I want to I tell you I was wrong. Please forgive daddy. And that, that happened. We want the model of forgiveness. We want the model. We didn't want this whole resentment and animosity building up. So we're, we kept a very short leash on this area of forgiveness. A lot of times we just spent uh, the last part of every day together. I rarely missed. It was a major priority for me. I did it rather than Heather. But I, I would put them to bed, and that meant laying down and, and talking with them, telling them stories, praying and also clearing the day, what happened today? How did that go? How did that make you feel? Well, let's talk about that. And that was my, my major responsibility. Another objective is we didn't want anger to rule our home. Their anger or our anger. And so in order to accomplish these objectives, we had to set out some things. And we learned a lot. And we learned that if you de delay spanking, you put it off, somehow there's a disconnect between what they did and the actual spanking. And so it becomes, it becomes punishment rather than a learned lesson. And it was lost. We had to be diligent. So in Proverbs, it says, spank your children betimes. That's the old King James. Betimes means you have to be diligent. It's kind of like when you have a dog. I mean, if the dog does something wrong, and then the next day you hit the dog, that's, that's an abuse. The dog doesn't connect that punishment to something that they did the day before, the night before, and, and neither will our children. We learned to get an actual rod. We want to put a little distance between our hands and their bodies. And so when they're really small, we just patted the back of their hands or patted their butts. Then there's a period where we actually got a spoon, a wooden spoon, and that became the thing. But then there's a point in time where that was no longer, uh, that was no longer the tool that God wanted us to use, and we put that away. But I knew of a pastor who told me one time that he spanked his son with a spoon the night before the son's wedding. And I thought, something's off. Something... He was proud of that. He was describing how diligent he was, but I'm thinking... That's really weird, man. <laughs> Although he's a good son. And he may, he may tell me tonight, you know, I needed to do, I needed that. I don't know, but to me that was just too weird. So the other thing we learned is every child is different. 
our, our oldest son needed a lot more riding. We had to be more diligent with him. Middle son, not so much. Our daughter, we had to go back. She was almost like a firstborn. We had to go back. We had to really work with her. But I've seen some children where the whole spanking is a, is a look, and you look at them, and they know right away that they're disobedient, and that was, that's enough. And uh, I've seen it even in different cultures where it seems to be different. And so I wrote in here a number of things that we learned in the process. And, uh, and then we set some standards, which I'd like you to explore. And so any comments or observations before we go any further? Alan, come on up. Just have to speak nice and loud. Okay. <clears throat> so obviously I don't have any kids, but I have lots of grandkids. Um, but my comment is uh, when you talked about uh, you and Heather agreeing, Peggy and I called them whisp whisper breaks, meaning that when we said that, the kids knew that mom and dad were going to get on the same page. And uh, I just uh, verify that that's you got to be on the same page. And that, that means that the kids won't play mom and dad against each other. And uh, so it's actually become a joke now that uh, with our adult children and grandchildren, we'll say we have to have a whisper break. And so the kids all know that we have to get on the same page. And the other comment was, um, <clears throat> because I do have grown children, the idea of um, asking for forgiveness or being... Uh, being right with your children, uh, it's even more uh, important with your older children. So uh, as a man with lots of gray hair, that's just a little wisdom for the future. So thank you. Thank you, Alan. The kids have to know there's no daylight between mom and dad, that, that you guys are in sync, and that they don't play one off against the other. And that's what Alan's referring to. And, and, and I've seen moms kind of kind of hang some things on dad, like when, when dad gets home, he, this is what he's going to do. And it makes dad look like the bully. It makes dad look like the monster. And, and you, can't, you can't set your kids up for that kind of failure. They have, to, they have to know that there's no way that they can manipulate one against the other or there's going to be any daylight. That mom's a soft touch. She always says yes. Dad always says no. Something's wrong. If, if, if they get that message, you're building it wrong. And while we're here, before we get into this next part, the number one disciplinarian in the home was me. And there are times when I wasn't home, and there are times that I was at work or whatever, and, and we had to navigate that. But I'm, I'm responsible unto God for setting the standard of how we're going to discipline our kids at, at home. And there are some things I asked Heather to watch for or to deal with, but... By and large, it's not, it's not the wife's responsibility. It's too much. It's too, it's too heavy. It's unfair for the, for the dad just to lay that completely on the wife. I think he needs to carry it and set the standard in agreement with the wife, obviously. But it, men, you need, to, you need to take this on as, as your calling. It's part of you being a man. Amen? Here's, here's something that I got in, out of Scripture and, and saw as a real point of wisdom that works. It's called reproof and chastening. Reproof is verbal. Chastening is physical. Chastening is the actual act of creating the pain. And so uh, uh, Jesus writes seven letters to seven churches. And he, it's, a, it's part of an ongoing process. He'd been dealing with these seven churches in private, now he's dealing with them in public. And so it's, it's, it's gone up a notch because it has to. It's serious. But here's what Jesus did is he reproved them with his mouth and said, what you're doing is wrong. So that's the reproof. Then he'd say, and if you continue doing it, here's what I will do to you. And he would lay out the, the, the consequence and, and that meant pain. And so uh, there's a pattern in Scripture, and I know Jesus to be this way in my life. He always speaks to me first. He doesn't haul off and spank, spank me 
And then, then I say, what was that for? He always, expl- he always reproves me first. It's just the way he is. Because he wants me to change and he wants me to grow. And he's committed to loving me and developing me. So Jesus always reproves. I hear people, I hear people say this about Jesus. They say, you know, I was just going along, all of a sudden I got sick, and I realized that Jesus was Jesus was dealing with me. I got sick and I didn't know what it was for or why that happened or why he took that away or why he gave me a car accident. I don't think that's Jesus. I don't know him that way. Here's how I know Jesus. He always forewarns me. He always says, this has to change. Often what he says, when you read this in the seven letters, here's some things that you're doing that are really good, and he affirms me, and then he very clearly tells me what I'm doing wrong, and there's no guessing. I've had people say, you know, God disciplined me, but I don't even know what it's for. I don't, I don't know, I don't understand why he would do that. I don't think that's God. I think you're misreading something. Jesus said, this has to change. Condemnation is a feeling of not knowing that you, what you've done wrong, but you just realize there's some distance between you and God, and you must have done something wrong, but you don't know what it is, and condemnation well, that, that's the tone of condemnation. Conviction, by contrast, is very specific. This has to change. And then what he does that's so powerful is he has this reward system versus there's pain and reward. Here's what he says. He said, if you do that again, this is what I promise I'll do. I'll discipline you in this area. I'll remove your lampstand. I'll take away the glory of the Lord the light, the life, the liberty of your church, if you keep doing this. If you overcome, and he gives this incentive, this promise of, of something to go toward, and that little pattern, just reading the first couple chapters of Revelation, is the most profound lesson in child discipline that's in the Bible. That's the way he wants to relate to you. That's how you should relate to your children. If you, if you reprove them and say, look, hey, I don't, I don't want you to do that anymore. I don't, I don't like that. That doesn't feel right. That feels like, and you explain to them what it feels like to you. And you say, I don't want you to do that anymore. That's reproof. Then you say, if you do it again, this is what's going to happen. And that's part of the promise. That's the way God relates to me. That's the way we should relate to our children. Here's what God doesn't do. The kid's sitting there, and he's eating his soup, and he did something that was offensive to the dad, and all, while he's eating his soup, all of a sudden, there's this backhand across the side of the head, and he doesn't know what that was for. Well, that's not godly discipline. God would never do that. And I've had parents say, well, the Bible says I'm supposed to hit my kids if they, dis- if they disobey. That's not, what the, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible teaches very consistently reproof and then chastening if, if needed. It's very likely that if you reprove them, you won't even have to chasten them. So I, I, I sat down with a guy who was, lost his family. And he was all upset because he said, I'm just doing what the Bible says. The Bible says, spare the rod, hate your children. I, I hit them. I, I backhanded them. They were mouthing off, and I hit them. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. It requires discipline on your part to not do that. That crossed the line by every standard in society and also in the Bible into an area called abuse. The way to discipline your children is you speak to them first. They should have a total connection between the pain that's coming and their behavior because you've, you've said so. You've reproved them. And that's a powerful, powerful difference between the kind of corporal punishment that I'm talking about and what's often seen in the world where people are just lashing out in anger and beating their kids. I don't see anything in the Bible that talks. I, I don't see anything. I can't say I, I don't see anything in the Bible. I don't see where that's normal discipline for children. There were some extreme examples in the Bible where 
Uh, the son wouldn't listen, wouldn't listen to the parents. He wouldn't work, and he was just out partying, and, and they beat him. And I think maybe the pain of being beaten would spare their soul from hell. And there's an extreme case, and it's not common. It's extreme, but there's a place for that, I suppose. But that's not what we're, that's not what we're teaching for your little ones. Any comments or questions or observations about that point? Are you with me on this? Is it clear? I mean, are you tracking okay? All right, good. So there's a whole section on chastening. And chastening is a fundamental part of our relationship as a son. The son that he loves, he will chasten. And it's just all through scripture. And it happened that Jesus, between his father and himself, there was chastening. And it will happen to us. Then I do a whole section on the difference between wise and a foolish son. Uh, because there's a lot in the Bible, especially in Proverbs, about wisdom and foolishness. And it has nothing to do with being foolish in terms of being demented or lacking something mentally. It has to do with rebellion. And the only reason we discipline our children is for rebellion, disobedience. A wise son, the, the word wise used in this context is submissive, obedient. And that's, that's the big issue. All the way through Proverbs, there's many, many Proverbs that contrast foolish, a foolish son and a wise son. And it really has to do with an obedient son compared to a rebellious son. And it, when you know that, it becomes a much easier book to study. The other thing it talks about quite a bit of Proverbs is scorners and scoffers. And they're the children who talk back at us. They're the children who mock our discipline or attempt to discipline them or won't receive our discipline. That's a scorner and a mocker. And the Bible describes what to do with them. But it's very, very clear what that's about, where they mouth off and they come back and they make fun of your attempt to serve the Lord. That's scoffing. And uh, they're a scorner. And there's a, there's a discipline for that. Okay. There's quite a few verses in Proverbs about instruction, especially in the King James Bible. It talks about withholding instruction or giving instruction, and that's the word correction. And, and it says that uh, a wise son will receive instruction. And it's not verbal, completely verbal at least. It's a wise son will say, hey, I'm looking, for, I'm looking for, to know because you are ahead of me in this. I want to know what's right or wrong here. I want to know what the, where the lines are. And even when they're older, even like guys Alan's age, they actually invite input. They say, hey, tell me if I'm wrong on this. And they're inviting instruction. That's a sign of a wise person who says, okay, I don't like you to tell me that I'm wrong, but tell me I'm wrong. You're receiving instruction, and you want your child to to grow up being able to re receive instruction. Uh, I, there's verses from the Living Bible that says, get all the help you can get. Get all the correction you can get. I know all kinds of people in the church that I can't correct because they can't take it. They would leave. They'd be upset. Or I've tried, and, and they go into a funk. And so, listen, I don't correct them. They get no input from me at all. And that's to their detriment because they cannot receive correction. Well, that happened in their formative years. That happened in their developmental years, that they weren't able to receive correction. And so I think that's an, that's a, that's an objective, that we've got to be able to train them so that their boss can come to them and say, look, uh, that job, substandard. It can't, that, can't, that can't happen again. And they don't fall apart and quit or badmouth the boss behind his back. They say, OK, all right, boss, all right, all right. I, I receive your input. I'll, I'll, I'll man up. I'll change. I'll do better next time. You're training them for success. Just, just being able to take input on a job will cause them to be promoted, cause them to never have to look for a job. They, they'll always have a job because they've been able to receive correction. And, and that's on you. You can, you can um, train them to do that. There always has to be a positive and negative. The negative is 
if you don't do it, I'll, I'll discipline you, I'll spank you, or I'll withhold your allowance, or whatever it is. The positive is, if you do this, here's a reward. You and I will go down, and we're going to have an ice cream at the end of the day at, at the special store that they like. We're going to go to Seneca Farms or something like that. And that becomes the incentive. And God uses both uh, reward and, and uh, punishment to motivate us. He says, if you fear my name, I'll, I'll reward you with this. If you have humility, I'll reward you with this. He does it all the way through scripture, and it works in the home as well. And it's not a bribe. I think it's possible you could actually bribe their little carnal nature so that they give in in the short term, but they're still just as carnal at the end. They're still just as carnal at the ice cream stand. <laughs> I don't think that's the goal. I think, I think there is a reward system, and we have to be able to tap into that. I do a little section on finding teachable moments. It comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. It talks about correcting your children in the way, as you walk in the way, as, as you lay down at night. And there's lots of different teachable moments where you explain things and you tell them how it works and why, why it is, and we have to look for those. The other thing I do in the book is that I, I have a, quite a list. It's a page and a half of areas that you need to train your children in, like, teach, like keeping their word, uh, training them to work hard, training them to respect authority, training them to respect other people's property, training them how to get along with other people's children, or other children, teaching them how to forgive, teaching them how to withstand adversity, teaching them how to stand alone or stand on a principle, even though it's not popular, teaching them how to live in light of eternity, teaching them how to fear the Lord, teaching them how to discern good from evil, teaching them how to make decisions, teaching them how to, how to treat their wife, how to treat their husband, treat them how to manage their emotions rather than give it in to them. These are, these are huge things that can cause them to become uh, successful adults that we need to train them in these areas. If you train them in these areas, when they're older, they won't depart from the training. That verse is misused oftentimes. It says, we, we interpret it, that if we teach them the Christian life and belief in Jesus, that when they're older, they'll never leave Jesus, and they'll never stop believing in Jesus, and they'll not neglect their salvation. That's not what this verse talks about at all. That's not how it was intended. What it says is however you train them, whether it's good training or bad training, that training will never leave them. You can't guarantee faith for anybody. You can't guarantee salvation for anybody. So he doesn't even come close to that. The training part, uh, there's a book that, called, that says that children are wet cement. How, you know, that they're impressionable. You put your hand in that wet cement, it stays. That's really what it's saying. If you teach them to, to um, for, I'll, I'll give you an example. My kids, when they're little, they love these Bernstein bear books. And we end up, we, we threw them out. We liked them because they're neat. It was nice artwork. And in the beginning, it had neat parallels to life, like too much party, too much birthday, too much candy. Some of it was really good. And then we noticed a pattern that in the story, Mama Bear is always the one that saves the day, and she's smart. And Papa Bear is a dummy, and she always has to make everything right because Papa Bear is a glitz. And we realized we're just training our kids to see that that mom's always right and dad's always wrong and dad gets in trouble and mom has to straighten it out. And so we just got rid of those books because we're training them, we're setting them up with, with those standards. We're gonna stop shortly. Any input? Are you, are you training your kids? Have you sat down uh, and decided what the standards are for your home? Have you done that? I remember telling my boys, I said, if you listen to me, I'll train you how to work, and you'll never lack for a job. And even though they're little kids, farmers, they're area farmers, and some of the men in church, they would fight over who was going to hire them because they were so hireable. They'd never lack for a job. Any observations, questions?
You're awfully quiet. Are you okay out there? I'm going through this kind of quickly. I'm assuming most of you have, writ have read it. Maybe you haven't, but uh, I'll give you copies. If you ask me, I'll give you a copy of this. There's so many things in here. There's powerful lessons. Be careful what you forbid. If you always are forbidding things, if there's something in the fallen nature that says, that's off limits, that's forbidden, therefore they actually lust or long for that which is forbidden. So you've got to be careful what you forbid. And that's, there's a whole example of that in here. Aaron? On your talk with about you and your wife disagreeing and everything, did you have disagreements in front of your children to teach them how to work with each other, oh. work with work with your disagreeing your spouse or your yeah. is that is that something that should be done or should they not know that you you and your wife disagree? Well, that's a really good point. You're making a distinction when it comes to them and what we're deciding about them. There's no daylight between us, and we didn't disagree with each other in front of them uh, on the principles of discipline. Did they see Heather and I fight, and did they see us not agree? Absolutely, because we're, we're, living, we're living with them. I think it's really important that they observe those kinds of things, and they see how you make up, and they see, they see how you treat each other and how you bring closure. I think that's going to come out in everyday life. certainly did in our home. But the issue concerning them and, and what we agreed upon, that we didn't want them to see that there was, like there are times that Heather didn't like the way I disciplined them. She didn't like even the reason I was disciplining them. And, I, and that's, that, that shouldn't be discussed in front of the kids because uh, they they, they're, they're, they're just going to be confused by our, by our goals. And so that part was always in private. But they saw, they saw how we treated each other for sure. The good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah, that's a good distinction. Any other observations, comments, examples? Yeah? There's quite a section in here on what abuse and misuse of authority are and what that looks like. There's a thing called Gentile rule where Jesus forbid that. He didn't want that kind of... Gentile rule, in a nutshell, is the I told you so kind of rule. Yeah, it's something that you shouldn't hear from me as a pastor, that I told you to do that, therefore you must do it. We see that. We know that's out there. That's, that's called Gentile rule, where I'm the boss, so therefore you're going to obey me. That should not come into this issue with our, our, in our marriages or in our relationship to our kids. That's Gentile rule. And I take some... Uh, quite a bit of time to make that distinction. Then there's a sizable section on questions and answers. Signs of overcorrection, signs of parental abuse, where the kids actually abuse the parents. That's, that's common. That actually happens. Then there's a whole struggle in here that's called the struggle with sugar. So they got this little fall in nature, and then we pour Kool-Aid and, and Pop-Tarts and all kinds of stuff down there, a little, get all that chemistry happening, all, that, all those chemicals working against or working with their fallen nature. Well, then we want to spank them, but they're all jacked up on sugar. It's just, it's just unfair. It's just unfortunate. Our kids had sugar, but it was limited. We really curtailed it. Uh, we, we, we did reward them with ice cream. We did do, we, they, they were candy that they enjoyed. We wanted them to enjoy it. But it was, there, it was definitely limited uh, in what we did at the house and how much, how much junk we let them have because it just it automatically affected their behavior and then we had nothing to discipline them about because we were, we're the ones who drugged them up. So you gotta, you gotta think through this whole thing with sugar, how much we use it, how we use it, why we use it. I don't think we can avoid it. I don't think, uh, we had one lady who, who just was really... She just went crazy about it. Everything was whole wheat. I, and, and we put her in charge of the Halloween party one time, and all the candy got thrown out, and she had, like, whole wheat suckers. And 
and, and stuff that none of the kids would ever eat. It was horrible. It was like the worst Halloween we ever had. We should never have put her in charge of it. And, and so she made this big deal about it, that she was going to set the church on a different foundation, no sugar church. And we didn't think that was realistic. And we went along with it because she was in charge of it. And boy, it was a dud. It was just awful. And then a few days later, I went to her house to pick something up and hear her little guy come out, and he was just sticky. He had all kinds of candy that he had gotten from Halloween. And I thought, ah, oh, man, that doesn't feel right. She wasn't being consistent. He had his cheeks full of candy, his pockets full of candy, and it just was such a disappointment to see. Legalism, some of us come out of a legalistic background and you have to avoid that, so there has to be a way to do it without going into legalism. Some of us have been abused, neglected. I'll tell you, I'll tell you this and I'll maybe stop here. To not discipline your children is abuse. It, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like pastoral ministry where the where the pastor's the boss and he's always telling you, you have to do it my way and, and that kind of overreaching and domineering where he tells you what to wear and, and what to do. We think that's all wrong, but there are pastors who pastor that way. Then there are pastors who don't do anything. They never make a decision. They never draw a line. There's no standard. There's, not, there's nothing set up that says this is, this is the line of what we think is right or wrong. Both of those things have the same effect on the morale of the people. Both, both responses cause people to quit at a heart level. And I can't tell you uh, which is worse because they're both bad. They both have the exact same effect. I've, I've observed that in life and realized, oh, wait a minute, to be a wimp and, and non-authoritarian and not have any authority at all is just as bad as, a, as someone who's over-authoritarian because it has a negative effect on the people. It's exactly the same. Amen? Should we stop here? I didn't, I didn't hear all the questions, so maybe, maybe somebody already asked this. But uh, big movement, a lot of people who were maybe overcorrected, uh, and they can be very vocal about not using any kind of physical discipline, but making it all about choices. Uh, have you seen that work to where you completely remove the physical, the corporal? No, I've never, I've never seen it work completely. It's a bit of an illusion mm -hmm. or a bit of a delusion in the sense that you might get some short-term benefit from it, but not long-term fruit. I think what the Bible says is just so clear and so simple that there has to be, there has to be. Uh, and is, is that because you're not curtailing that fallen nature part a, of it? That's the issue. You're just removing yeah. it. You're, you're relating to them at a soulish level, not a change of heart level. Okay. And, and, and you're not dealing with their flesh at all. And so to just rationalize with your little one and you're just constantly explaining is, is, is supposing that they could change their nature or change, get on top of their nature or have a heart change because their soul has been, has been influenced. I don't think that, that, God doesn't deal with me that way. He changes my heart and he often brings pain to my body to get my heart to change. I think he knows what he's doing and, and um, we've set it up so that it's just all logic. It's mm -hmm. just all appealing to their souls. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Is there anyone who didn't get the book? I didn't send you the PDF, yeah? Would you like my copy? There's a printed copy for you, because Joan needs it in the worst way. <laughs> Actually, Joan's a great example of what we want to see around here. We love, we love the fruit of her life. Are we good? You can't come to me after and say, hey, I had a whole bunch of questions and I didn't come to the mic. You have to spare me that, okay? Let's stand together. Why don't you pray? Say, Lord, I want to be changed at a higher level. 
of a fallen nature that's always getting in the way, that's always looking for pleasure, looking for the easy way, that likes sugar, that wants, wants to do its own thing. God, I invite you to deal with me. I invite you to spank me. I invite you to reprove me. Just don't leave me to myself. I want to change. I want to grow. Thank you that you're my dad and that you love me so much that you're willing to chase me. I, I received that from your hand. Or this whole thing with kids and raising a family, it's, it's beyond me. I need your word. I need, I need wisdom. I need something to come back to, something to drive a deep stake into that I can always find my way back to it. God, help me to understand your word. It's not Penn's book, Lord. It's your word that I want in my heart. Help me to get it. Help me to get there, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.